Good morning, everyone. I'm not trying to be Johnny Cash. I just uh, like this tie, so I had to have a good shirt to go with the tie. How's that? What what a another wonderful time in the Lord, and what an incredible week! What a week! It's been a great week, especially for me. A great week. But last Sunday was just, um, I ended up just staying here all day. That old GMC truck was parked out there until I left about 8 o'clock that evening. It was just a great day. Um, by the way, thank I, I want to thank all of you for uh, reaching out and uh, wishing me happy birthday Thursday, February 23rd. It, it's still when I say that I'm 72, it doesn't sound right. How did I get there that fast? Man. Um, but there's, there's, there's moments, though, I do feel like that I deserve that number. Um, but God has been doing something in our world. Um, I, I hope you've noticed that God is up to something. And this is his timing. And you need to hitch your wagon to what he's doing. Because he's moving. I want to share with you a message this morning. What is repentance? What is repentance? And you can probably think of your own definition of repentance. But uh, we have this in the early lines of Matthew's account of the gospel and also in Luke's account of the gospel. In fact, everything was set in motion with the message of repentance. You think about this. I want to take you to Matthew three and verse one and it's it's kind of interesting because Luke's chapter three starts with the same thing it's just like there's it's, they're not repeating each other but there's something a little bit different in both of them so that's why I'm going to read from both of those places so we're going to go to Matthew chapter three in verse one in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near some says the kingdom of heaven is at hand it means that the kingdom of heaven has arrived this is he who was spoken of through the prophet isaiah a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the lord make straight paths for him repent what did he mean when he looked at the people that he was declaring this to? What is repentance? What was he calling them to do? The word itself in, in the language that uh, the Bible is written in, in Greek, means to change your mind. We have this idea that repentance is kind of like asking for forgiveness of sin, having remorse and contrition and and, uh, and, and that is involved, but it really means to change course, to make a change, to step into a new direction. I've used the illustration in times past. It's, it's like you get on a bus and you think the bus is going in the right direction, and you realize it's not going in the direction you wanted to. So you can sit on the bus and moan and groan about going in the, in the wrong direction. But you can walk up to the driver and says, next stop, I need you to stop. I'm going to get off this bus, and I'm going to get on the bus that's going the other way. It's not about feeling sorry for what you've done. It's 
like I need a change. I need to step into a change. So that includes a change of mind, a change not just of direction, but a change of how someone thinks. And I think when you, when you read more of this, it went deeper than the mind. It went deeper into the soul. And, and John is introducing the Messiah to the people. And this is in the Jordan River area. There's nothing down there. There was Jericho, but outside of Jericho, there was, it was kind of like considered wilderness. And all these people were going down to Jordan. It was not a small task to walk, even from Jerusalem, but from all other places, to walk down to the River Jordan to hear this, he had to be some kind of sight to see. Um, he ate locusts. That's a tough guy that can eat locusts, but I, I think that means something different than bugs. But anyway, I think he probably stood out like breathe, fire-breathing preacher calling them to repent and turn to God. And, and, uh, and you're going to get a little bit different taste of this when we go over to Luke chapter 3 on exactly how he thought about the people he was preaching to. But he was announcing, and I'm not going to read the first part of Luke's account because he's so detailed about who was over this and who was over that, so I'm going to skip all that and go right into verse 2, part of verse 2 in Luke 3. The word of God came to John. He was not preaching his idea. He was preaching the word of the Lord. The son of Zechariah in the wilderness... And it even mentions how barren the place was. And all these people were going out to hear this man preach. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There it is. This change of mind, this change of direction includes releasing our wrong, releasing our sin to him. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now they're, they're quoting from the same occasion but just a little bit different in what Luke says and what what Matthew said a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare ye the way for the Lord make straight paths for him every valley shall be filled in every mountain and hill made low the crooked roads shall become straight the rough way smoothed and all people will see God's salvation Verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. He might have just hurt some people's feelings here. You brood of vipers. <laughs> that wasn't kind, was it? But he was, I think he got their attention. But these people, they were under conviction. You'll see in just a moment. They didn't walk away saying, well, he hurt my feelings. This is the way our culture is today. You hurt my feelings, I'm going to leave. They were there, and he was he right out of the gate, called them out for what they were. They were lost. And he says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, we need to see some signs of repentance. And he's going to mention some of these signs in just a minute. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Isn't that what we fall back on our identity? that we get from somebody else. I've been in church all these years. You can't talk to me that way. You can't call me out like that. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Your connection to Abraham means nothing to God, no more than these stones are children of Abraham. But if he wants more children of Abraham, he can 
make these stones become such. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit, every tree that does not show some evidence of repentance is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Boy, did they come under conviction. They didn't leave. They didn't leave. As hard as he spoke to them, they did not leave. And out of the crowd, they asked this question, just out of the crowd, what should we do then? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has found food, anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be, isn't it something how Luke says that? <laughs> Even they showed up. How about that? Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? Do you get the feeling these people are under conviction? Tax collectors had it made. If you watch The Chosen, Matthew, man, he's, he's resented all through that program because he used to be well off. But what are they saying? What should we do? John answered, Don't collect any more than you are required to. Boy, you don't think that hit home. Then some soldiers, what a diverse group this is. Roman soldiers came all the way out into the wilderness to hear this man preach. I'm going to tell you, that guy had a magnetic pull on people. To get Roman soldiers to leave their comfort where they were at, to go down and listen to this crazy preacher preaching, and they're ready. They want some change. He said, what should we do? And John said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. Well, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. And John answered them all and said, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You know, growing up in a Pentecostal church with King James, it just seems like with the Holy Ghost and fire sounds more spiritual, doesn't it? His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people, encouraged the people, and proclaimed the good news to them. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, is near. John had to be excited about this moment. John stood in one of the most unique places in history. He had one foot in the old covenant, and he had one foot into something else. This intermediary time where he, I mean, how many, how many people in the Bible have you ever heard of being filled with the Holy Spirit while they're still in the womb? And Elizabeth could testify when it happened. Because the baby leaped inside her womb. Then that had to be a pretty good baby that's baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. I doubt if, I don't think he was sinless, but he had to be a little bit different kid 
with having not the Holy Spirit on him, but in him. And he's telling them, you don't have the right to rule your life. The kingdom of heaven has come, and the kingdom of heaven overwhelms what you think you should be doing with your life. You think about the kingdom represents authority, and he says there's a different level of authority that has showed up in our present day. It is the kingdom of God, and he expects repentance out of it. Conviction is a powerful thing. Being convinced of a truth leads a person to embrace that truth, not just to listen to it, but to embrace it and embody it and follow after it. The Bible says God has all power in heaven and in earth, and that word for power is exousia. God has all authority, not just raw power, but the right to rule and reign in our world and in our lives. And repentance is that change of mind that we have that we do not make very good saviors. And we do not make very good lords of our lives. Repentance is this releasing, this change of mind that I cannot be the master of my life. He has to be the master of my life. A voice. He said, I'm just a voice. I'm the voice telling you one is coming who will do much more than me. I'm baptizing you in water unto repentance. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. He said, I'm just a voice crying out. And, he, and it just it breaks down into two things. They ask, what shows repentance? How, how are we supposed to present repentance? He says, stop doing some things and start doing other things. Isn't that what salvation is all about? Stop doing the things you used to do and start doing the things he wants you to do. And, and it starts with confession. Confession is a good thing. You see the effect of John's preaching. That all of them responded, well, what should we do? You got us at this point, what are, we, what are we supposed to do? And he had a different answer for every group. And he knew what that group was really known by. Why don't you care about someone else? If you have something in abundance, give it to somebody who does not have that. And then the tax collectors, those dirty rascals, those, those people that like the, the hated group in Israel. And then he says, stop getting kickbacks. You know, do what you're supposed to do. Stop extorting things from people. And then when he got to the soldiers, he had that. He says, stop your shakedowns. And stop accusing innocent people of crimes. And you ought to be happy with your salary. That that probably was one of the biggest things for them to say, what? Nobody's satisfied with their salary. And I don't even know why he told the soldiers that. Maybe he knew something about them that they didn't want anybody they didn't want anybody to know. But it was always about stop doing this, but start doing this. That's what repentance looks like. Change of mind. You know, when we repent, we see things different, don't we? You know, um, I think last Sunday we talked, we we had a discussion in Sunday school. And darkness and light was part of that discussion. You know, darkness does not have any quality of its own. Darkness can't even be measured because it's simply the absence of light. 
And you can measure light. Almost any fixture you get is going to tell you how much light it puts out, lumens. But darkness, it's, it's not really measurable. It's only, it's only measured by the light that is in the darkness. Because if there's any light in darkness, it's not all darkness, is it? A candle might light up the room, but it won't light up the bedroom. But it's still there. And you can still see it. You think about a full moon light night. You can see a lot when the moon is in full display. But the moon doesn't have any light of its own. It can only reflect light because it's the sun shining on it. Isn't that what we should be? A reflection of that light. Light brings conviction. Light shows the flaws. And the greater the light, I'm telling you, when you're doing something, you want to make it sure it's really right, you need to put the brightest light on it that you can get. Because there's a lot of flaws that show up when all the lights come on and says, wow, I didn't know I painted that wall that bad. We got to get out and repaint it. Because that's what light, it brings conviction. And one of the dynamics that happened at Asbury is the willingness of students to confess their sins. Light does something to darkness. It not only exposes it, it changes the person. When the Lord shines his light on people's minds and hearts, we repent. We repent. We we change. We, we admit that we have not done right. You know, the, the, one of the reports that came back from Asbury is the number of students, most of them male students, that confessed about their addiction to pornography and their use of pornography. But there was an, almost an endless parade of students going to a microphone talking about the darkness that has been in their life, whether it's suicide or depression and all these other things. You know, on Sunday, Sunday should be no different than Monday. And yet sometimes it is different because we're concerned about self-perception. But the one who knows everything is the only one that you're going to be accountable to. And I'm going to be accountable to you. We have a situation right now at the University of Alabama. And um, I didn't know much about it. <clears throat> really and truly, I've kind of pulled away over the last couple of weeks. I didn't know how bad Alabama beat Georgia in basketball. I didn't watch any of it. And on my ride into town Wednesday morning, this, this past Wednesday, I turned the radio on and I heard someone talking about Nate Oates and a controversy. And I turned it off immediately. I said, what in the world? I don't want to know. I'm enjoying my morning. I'm going to meet my friend Tim Pippins for breakfast at Waffle House. And I don't want to know. And sure enough, when he came in and sat down, that's the first thing he brought up. I said, I don't want, 
I don't want to know. I said, and then he starts telling us, I didn't want to know that. I don't want to know that. That's negative. I don't want to know anything negative. But as he begins to just kind of give me the details, I remember saying to him, says, well, that's the last of that young man's basketball career. Isn't that the way we react? But Tim worked in the DA's office years ago, and he began to explain to me the legal approach to everything, how a charge is brought and a grand jury is, is established. And, and as I listened to him, I said, well, that, that's not what everybody seems to think. And I, I really felt bad about Nate Oates because I even saw or heard that some people was calling for him to be fired over this. And I thought, if you need to do anything, you need to be praying for that man. You need to be praying for that situation. After he gave me the, the cliff notes to it, I was like, well, I really didn't want to know that. But after you've explained it, I think I see something from it that I don't think other people are seeing. And isn't that part of our problems? Is that we come to conclusions that we don't have all the information. If there's ever anything that we need to put the brakes on is coming to a conclusion we don't have all the facts. And we start posting stuff and, and, and saying stuff that we don't know everything. God help us. You know, the elephant, if I may just meddle just a little bit this morning, because at 72, I, can, I, I know I can be fired, so it doesn't matter. The elephant in the room, and not because Alabama has an elephant. <laughs> it's not that at all. In fact, I was, I was driving, um, Saturday was a great day we had, a great fellowship, and I'm and I'm I'm away from the news. And I get a text from a, a friend of mine in Arkansas, used to live here. And the text said this: Arkansas beat themselves, but we'll play better in the NCAA tournament. So I text him back. I guess that means Alabama won. I didn't watch it. That's all I said to him. I didn't watch it. Didn't care. Do I? Yeah, I take it back. Don't you throw any rocks at me. I do care. I do care what Alabama does. But right now, I care about more about something else going on. About what God is doing. And the elephant in the room is we have a place. That's a death trap in the heart of our city. It's called the Strip. And I liken it to a collection of temples to worship the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is a pagan place in our city. And there are gods there that will consume not only people's monetary supplies that they have in their life but also they'll steal their souls alcohol is one of the greatest tools that's damaging our world 
and it is seldom discussed in regard to the destruction of human lives. There's all kind of scenarios that people say, well, if they didn't do this, that young lady wouldn't have lost her life. And I look at it as if there was not a place to draw young people in the middle of a Saturday night or any night that they want them to be consumed with alcohol because the city makes money off of it and there's a monetary gain for it and here we have young lives being destroyed over it. What is repentance? It's when people have the awareness of what is rot and what is damaging to their souls and they run from it. And that's what repentance is. It's a change of direction. John was saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Change your minds about how you live your life. Where is God in our lives? What kind of change is he evoking in our lives? Thursday was uh, a great day. This is my birthday, and Brenda and I went to Hokkaido. And the only reason why we go there on special occasions is because you have to take out a second mortgage on your house to go there. <clears throat> Not really. We have been, we have, we are so penny pinchers. It's like, well, we'll do it at least once or twice a year. I'd rather just grill some venison than eat at the house. It's probably more healthy for you. But it's a great day. It had, it's the birthday, but the crown jewel of Thursday was sitting in our living room watching this special service at Asbury. Anyone see that? Anyone see it? Yes, it's on TBN. I never watch TBN. I, it's a terrible confession. It is. I just, okay, I'll back that up. I watched it Thursday night because it was a special service, and Wayne Atchison had alerted me to it and said, listen, there's going to be a special service. It was scheduled a year ago on the 200th anniversary of a collegiate day of prayer. A year ago it was scheduled. In the same auditorium that revival broke out, there was a schedule of a service, and he was heading to it, and we watched it, and it was, it blew the doors off. To see what was going on, it wasn't Asbury Revival, it was, it was something else. It was a move of God beyond this, the institution. The people that gathered there, and, and TBN giving, uh, look, they were giving some kind of commentary along the way, and, and even those were caught up with what God was doing. We, we are watching a move of God today, friends. And then Friday, Brenda and I went to see the Jesus Revolution. Taylor on that, I said, man, we got to go. We got to go. First day, they were showing multiple showings. We got to go, and we went paid the non-Tuesday price. How's that? But hey, it's part of my birthday celebration. We do that stuff like on birthdays. You know, we did get the senior discount. But oh my goodness, we sat there with the wonder of God. 
And a lot of that I knew about because it was, you know, when you graduated in 1969 and, and you know, Nick Saban and I have something in common. We're born the same year. But we were freshmen the same year. He was at Kent State, I was at Jacksonville State. And in the early part of 1970, there was a protest at Kent State that if you know anything about it, the National Guard came in and things got out of hand. They fired several rounds and four Kent State students were killed in that protest. And Nick Saban was, was aware of that going on in campus. And I was aware of stuff like that going on campus because we were having protests at Jacksonville State. And it was such a chaotic time. But out in California, God was moving in such a mighty way that hundreds and thousands of college students, college-age students, let me put it that way, most of them left their homes on some kind of trip to, define, to find themselves, like Keith Green and all of them. And they became... They were coming by the thousands to Jesus, being baptized off the beaches there in California. And we watched that. And I thought, this is what we need today. This is what we need is a move of the Holy Spirit today. It's not that I don't care about basketball games. It's just like God has amped up my hunger for him, for his presence. And for me to give myself more totally to him than what I can even think I can. Are you distracted in any way? Things pulling at your attention? Is the attention more inclined to the temporal instead of the eternal? Life is a vapor. My dad told me that as he was, his cancer was getting more and more aggressive and he looked at me and said Charles life is a vapor and I said I don't want to hear it <laughs> I don't want to hear that it wasn't but a few months later he was gone life is a vapor for all of us what are we doing with the vapor what are we doing with the mist this brief brief life that we have what are we doing with it I want our praise team to come back up. I, the second song we did, Gratitude, I thought that could be my theme song. But I already have a theme song. It's Andre Crouch, my tribute. But these are the, these are the people I grew up with, Keith Green's music and Rich Mullins and all, all of the other. It was just a realness about that. And that's what I think God is doing. I think he's bringing realness to us again. His real presence. What do you need to change your mind about? That's repentance. What do you need to change your mind about? What is it that you may have already thought, you know what, I'm putting way too much importance on that because it's temporary. I need to put more importance on the eternal. Lord, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing? What you do never fades away. What you do is eternal. Everything else around us is temporal, it's, it's temporary. It's not gonna last, we're not gonna last. We're only here for a set period of time. 
We don't know how that time is going to be, how long we're going to be here. We have a lot of friends over the years that have stepped across. I've got four brother-in-laws that have stepped across. It happens so fast. What are you doing with the gift of life he's given you? What are you doing with it? Have you laid it down at his feet and say, Lord, way into my years. I, I am. But what I have left, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to surrender to you. Beginning today, I'm going to surrender today to you. I'm going to go home and I'm, I'm going to determine that I'm not going to be a different person at home than I am at this altar. I want you to change me. I want the junk in my life to go. I want the garbage in my life to go. I want that that is made up that that's artificial because you don't need to water artificial flowers but if you've got something alive in you it needs water his water would you stand with me and I want you to just bring whatever deadness that you've had in your life whatever bondage you have have had in your life but maybe you just hear you're hungry for God. You're hungry to know Him. You're hungry to know what His purpose is for your life. What is your plan for me, Lord? And if that's your question, I want you to just come to this altar this morning and surrender. So, Lord, this is my repentance. This is where I want a change. Lord, we just give ourselves to you. We, we see what's happening across our nation in one way that is so sad because of the loss of life and the loss of direction and broken homes and people's lives coming to an end way too early because of sin and destruction. Lord, we also see you bringing life to our, our world, life to our nation, life to our families, Lord, and we want that. We want that. We want your life. Bring it to you.